Well, hey, my name's Eric. I am the lead pastor here at our Riverdale Church, and we are in Mark chapter 2. We're actually starting this new section of the book of Mark, and we're going through it section by section. We just finished up chapter 1. It took us seven weeks to get through chapter 1. Now we're in chapter 2, and kind of the subtitle to this is Challenging Religion, because... Jesus started his ministry in chapter 1. That's what we saw. We saw him establish his authority, establish why he came to do what he's doing. And he's bringing about the kingdom of God. This is God on earth starting to gather people to do his work and to bring salvation with him everywhere he goes. He's setting up his kingdom. And up until this point, he hasn't really been opposed by anyone. But But if you do know the Bible, or if you understand a little bit of the context, we do realize that there was a religious system already in place when Jesus stepped on the scene. And so what happens is, is they don't really like what Jesus is doing. Everybody's curious, some people are excited, some people are confused, and some people are just downright angry because it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing it the right way, or their way that they believe is right. So the religious leaders of his day are challenging him. And quite frankly, Jesus is challenging them. And so we are going to be in the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read those to you, starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we come to your word to find out more about who you are, to find out more for your, about what your will is for our lives. How can we follow you? How can we worship you, Lord? And at first glance, some of these stories are hard to figure out. How does this apply to us? Or what do you want us to see about Jesus? That's the, the biggest question we should ask ourselves, Lord, and Sometimes we get it wrong and, and, and we try to give our own worldly ideas or opinions about things, God, and we add things to your word. And 
that's kind of, you know, what religion has done. Father, today I just pray that you would give me words to say that aren't my opinions, but are from your truth, that glorify you and lead other people to know you. Father, to give them some kind of worldly wisdom or advice, they, they can access that all throughout the week. They can watch YouTube videos. They can go to their schools. They can go to their trainings. They can do all kinds of different things to hear uh, worldly, practical wisdom. But it's only through your word, and hopefully in these four walls when we open up your word, God, that we can receive something that the world can't give us, that the other uh, times in our life um, are just not worthy to, to, to fill us up spiritually. Only you can and only your word can, so we pray for that right now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're titling this message, Jesus is Greater Than Religion, because... As we talked about earlier, he's being challenged by the religious leaders, and they think that their way is the best, but Jesus proves through his power and through his wisdom that he is actually greater than any man-made religious system. And so as we go through this portion of scripture, we're going to break it into these three sections, and I first want to start off by defining religion. It's turned into a bad word. It's turned into some kind of shorthand, negative way to explain these man-made organizations that seem to control access to God. I mean, that's what we think about when we think about religion. But I want you to understand that religion in and of itself is not a bad thing. To be organized is not a bad thing. How many people have heard someone say, or maybe it's been you yourself that has said, you know, I believe in God, or I like Jesus, I just don't like organized religion. I'm just not into the whole church thing. And why do people say that? Because men and women, human beings, have failed you or your friend or someone you know. I mean, men and women, boys and girls, are imperfect. Human beings are fallible. They're fallen. They add all kinds of stuff. They add their opinions. They add their, their uh, own interpretations to things. They have their own leanings, you know, left or right, this or that, whatever it is. And it's always added to how they're interpreting how to have a relationship with God. And if you give these types of people authority in an organization, then top down what's going to happen is, is that whole organization is going to somehow be corrupted from the truth. But religion is not a bad thing in and of itself. You know, the word religion really just means to be able to have a a structure of, of people to worship God. It's an organized way in which people worship God, and actually God wants that for his people. He wants us to come together in an organized fashion and worship him and serve him and and teach others about him. And he's given us organized ways to do that in Scripture. The problem is, is we go beyond that. And actually, the word religion is in the Bible at least five times. Um, In James 1.27, this is an example of it. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now he's talking about people who think that they're religious, but yet don't live it out in their lives, are basically hypocrites, right? And that's kind of what we have in our minds about people when we think about religious systems and religious leaders and <clears throat> religion in and of itself, is they're hypocritical because they teach one thing but yet don't live it out, or, or at least they, they, are, they act holier than thou. But again, religion isn't a bad thing, it's just gotten a bad rap. And so when we talk about challenging religion, um, we need to recognize and remember that we're, we're challenging human religious systems that seem to be trying to control access to God. But Jesus comes to turn that on its head. He's not saying, I don't want you to have some kind of organized fashion in which you come together and worship me. He's the one who started the church in the first place. And then later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and others add to, here's how I want the church to operate. And so we need to go to the Word and figure out how to do it, but there are gray areas and all kinds of other things that people argue about or add, add their own ideas to, or even people have come up and said, uh, I'm a new prophet and I've got these new things to add to all of our religious duties and activities. But that is not the way that God designed us to be. We are to be devoted people, but not to... A person's way of thinking, but to God's word, to everything that he says in his word. Matter of fact, sin is trusting in your own opinions and ideas rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. And so sometimes, oftentimes, religions that think they are holy are actually living in sin because of their false teachings and their adding to God's words or misinterpreting it so much so to lead so many other people astray. See, it's not just the, 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 the addicts and the prostitutes and the murderers and the adulterers and the slanderers and the thieves that are the sinners, but it's also the religious people as well. And that's what Jesus is doing when he's challenging Religion. So let's get into the story because I want to talk first about these four guys that you heard about. These four guys had so much desperation and faith to bring their friend to meet Jesus. Starting in verse 1, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Now, the context of this is, if you've been with us, Jesus has been growing in popularity and fame. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And there's been several times where people have come in droves, sometimes, you know, hyperbolically, the entire city has come to find Jesus so that, that they can hear his teaching and see him perform miracles and even help out their friends. And so this is one of, another one of those things. Last week we talked about the leper who was cleansed and healed. And instead of obeying Jesus' words to be silent about this but go 
be a testimony to the priests. Instead, he says, ah, I'm going to go do it my own way. I'm so excited. I'm just, I got to go share this with everyone. And what happens was that his disobedience hindered the gospel. And Jesus had to basically go into hiding for a little while because so many people were coming to try, try to find him that he couldn't even rest, that he couldn't even have a, a moment to himself. Well, it seems that that's what's going on again. Actually, he returns to Capernaum. He's started his ministry. He's preaching all around Galilee. He's all like on a circuit of preaching through these cities and towns. He said that his priority is preaching the gospel, the good news. That is Jesus' top priority, is to spread the kingdom of God through preaching the truth about what God is doing, and especially in this new way, with the king of the kingdom coming down to earth. And, and what happens is, is he's popular, but not for all the good reasons, right? We wish that we packed our churches out for all the good reasons. But sometimes people are just coming to get entertained. Sometimes people are coming just because they're curious. Sometimes people uh, want some kind of transaction from God, and they say, okay, if I come to church... You ought to do this thing for me in my life, Lord. I think a lot of times we, we approach it like that. Rather than to come to worship, to come to hear, to come to learn, to come to humbly sit at Jesus' feet, it's more to get something. Well, there's all kinds of different people. Whatever gets you to church, I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm glad that you are hearing God's word. And, you know, God's word that was written down through the Holy Spirit, is what changes people's lives, changes their hearts from the inside out, okay? And so, so no matter how you got here, I pray that you leave here different. I pray that you leave here changed. And I know that that's what Jesus and his disciples wanted as well. But this place, this house, maybe it was Peter's mother's house where he, he was a few uh, weeks ago that we read, is so packed out because he's teaching and Nobody can get in. And so where we come to is this. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. There's something to be said about these guys and why Mark wants to focus on these guys, and I think it's their faith. As a matter of fact, when we read on, we're going to see that Jesus himself is even amazed by these four guys' faith. That even though this building is packed, they can't get to him. Jesus has become so popular that people have nudged their way in to hear him, and people won't let anybody take their place because they think that they're important, like the Pharisees, who are, we're going to see who are actually in this room. Because they're curious about what this guy's teaching. They want to make sure that Jesus is preaching God's word in the way that they interpret, in the way that they understand. But these guys don't care about what Jesus is doing. They just believe that Jesus has the power to change this guy's life forever. I want to stop for a second and maybe apply that to us. Do we believe that the preaching of God's word and getting people in front of Jesus can change a person's life forever. 
Because what we believe about that will determine how desperate we are, how zealous we are, how, how passionate we are about getting our friends and family members in front of Jesus. Many of us here today have invited many people to church all the time, right? And some of us, it's an ongoing battle to try to get our family member to come. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. We wish they had the passion, right? But many of us know that if we can just get my wife or my husband or my son or my daughter or my friend from work here, that maybe, just maybe, a miracle's going to happen. Maybe God will come into their heart and change their life. That is our hope. And, and what we see with these four guys is that they believe that. They believe that so much so that they can't get in. And so what they do is they climb up on the roof, dig a hole in it, and they lower this guy down on a mat. I want to ask you, have you been that desperate before? Right? I don't know if I would have you arrested or not, really, if you dug a hole in the top of the church and were lowering somebody down. I'd probably be like, hey, there's a lot of empty seats in here. That was kind of unnecessary. We're not that popular, you know? Right? But that's the type of faith that moves mountains. That's the type of faith that changes people. That's the type of faith that God's people need if we're going to see other people be saved. Is that we'll do anything. We'll go to any lengths. We'll push past the crowds. We'll push past the religious ideas of the day and be so desperate to get them in front of Jesus to hear the word. So many other churches, and I'm sorry that I bring this up often, but there's, I'm, I'm a guy that is an avid watcher of YouTube, and I, I follow different churches around the country, okay? And, and there's all these different methods about how to do church, and there's a lot of people that just think that God's word, it's cool, it's, it's all right, we believe in it, but it's just downright boring. And so what we need to do is spice it up a little bit. We need to, we need to add things to it. And this is, this is no different than adding religious rules. This is believing that our methods and our ability to get someone interested in God's word so that they'll finally, you know, we can do a little bait and switch thing where it's like, if we can just make it interesting enough and say that, you know, Jesus is cool and, 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 and you know, the, the preacher's hip and all the people are, are, are uh, not, you know, stiff-necked or, or, or uh, you know, so rigid. These people are um, just like you and me. Like, there's this huge struggle in the church to really just believe that God's word and Jesus has the power to save people. We need to spice it up a little bit. We need to add things a little bit. We need to do things to, to get people to the door. But look how simple these guys make it. I mean, they're desperate. They lower him down to hear from Jesus. They don't need to hear some kind of worldly way of doing things, some kind of TED talk about how to Make your life better in these five different ways. They need to hear the word of God. Do we really believe that so much so that we're desperate? 
not to add things to it or take things away, not be afraid to share what sin is, not to be afraid to share some of the parts of the Bible that are hard to hear, but can we just get them in front of Jesus to hear the word of God because he's the one who does miracles. Here's what I want to say about these guys. These four friends of the paralyzed man were willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. And it was their faith, not just the paralytics alone, that made the difference. Now, in order to get saved, you cannot believe for someone. You cannot believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of someone else's sins. Okay, But your faith actually does lead you to do something about it. Your faith can be the spark of someone else's faith. Your faith in, in the power of God can help someone's faith. That's how God designed it. And here's what Jesus says about it. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Their, Jesus notices their faith by the action that they did, their desperation of lowering this guy down on a mat. Now, this last part of the verse probably confuses you a little bit because the guy was paralyzed, and you would imagine that what they wanted for, was this guy to be healed. And so maybe you're thinking, my sins are forgiven. The guy, he's like, that's cool and all, but I, I was hoping that you were going to help me walk out of here today. Maybe that's what the friends were thinking too, right? Maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, uh, do we have the, the order backwards here? Doesn't normally Jesus take care of our physical needs, our felt needs first, and then we understand the gospel and we understand salvation? But no, Jesus, by doing it in this order, by the way, shows us what's most important. It's not reaching everybody's physical felt needs first. Now, Jesus does do that, and we should do that. We should be compassionate, and we should consider how to love people. And make Jesus attractive. Not, you know, Christians have a bad rap in the world. They think that it's all about what we're against rather than what we're for. But don't let the world change the way Jesus says to operate. The priority is that sins would be forgiven. That's what he cares about in people. And so he says, your sins are forgiven because of your faith. Why? Because their faith in Jesus was so strong that they knew who he was and what he could do. And that leads us to this last part about these religious leaders, their response to this. In verses 6 and 7, But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So these Pharisees, this is a special group of the Pharisees called the, the religious leaders of the law or the teachers of the law. These are the scribes. These are the, the guys that scrupulously looked at scripture and made sure that it was clear everybody was following these certain laws. They knew the Bible better than anyone. And these guys are there because they're jealous about this newfound fame about this guy. I don't even think they, they're even interested in entertaining the idea that this guy could be the Messiah. Maybe, but the reality is we see that their hearts aren't willing to listen. And so sometimes people can come and hear Jesus 
and they can be brought to church, but they still have that, the blinders on of religion, and their hearts are still stony and stubborn, and no matter what we say, their heart won't change. And that is something that only God can work through. We can't change people's hearts and minds if they won't see the real truth about Jesus. That's the miracle that first has to happen in a person. But what we see is that they're saying he's being blasphemous. Why? Because only God can forgive sins. Well, that's true. They're not wrong. They're wrong about him blaspheming because they don't quite understand who he is. But one thing they say is true. Only God can forgive sins. Now, isn't genius or Jesus ingenious because he knows all of this is going on. He knows who's in front of him. He knows all of this is about to happen. And so when Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven, he's, he's making it known what's most important, what his priority is, but he's also challenging the religious leaders that were sitting there. He knew that their response was going to be that of disdain and disgust. And he uses this as an opportunity to teach them because they believed that they held the keys to forgiveness of sins. Not that they could do it themselves, but they, as I said, religious leaders are the ones who want to control access to God. They liked having that authority. They liked having everybody look to them they liked being the mediator between God and man. And so this is making them jealous in a sense. That this guy's saying, Jesus is saying that your sins can be forgiven apart from this religious system that they had been following. You see, in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones that declared a person clean or righteous. And what had to happen for sins to be forgiven was in the temple, a sacrifice had to be made. It was usually a spotless lamb or an animal and a, and a ritual for a, a sin offering. That, that, that animal had to die and the blood had to be scattered and, and a ritual had to take place for sins to be forgiven. But what they're failing to see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament laws and rituals. Jesus is the lamb who came into the temple once and for all to be slain. And so what Jesus is doing to them, he's saying, the new is here. The New Testament is here. The, the, the new covenant is here through the spilling of my blood. That, that's going to happen. I am the one who can forgive sins. There is no more need for this ritualistic religious system anymore that you guys are doing because it's being fulfilled. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, it says this in verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If you go read that chapter, he's saying, do not get mixed back up with religious people who are trying to judge you and condemn you for certain ways that you're living your life. I'm not saying that that's, that's, that's saying that you can go sin and do whatever you want and don't let people judge you for sinning. Of course you should feel judged for sinning. You know, Of course you should 
not, you should set up some kind of a, a religious devotion to God to keep you unstained from the world. That's what James said. But yet when we do sin, we don't have to go through this whole rigmarole of things. We can trust in Jesus. That's the beauty of the good news, that the gospel is that Jesus took care of our sin problem. So our religious duties do not make us right with God. It's through him and everything that he fulfilled. That's the good news. None of that stuff was permanent way it was only a temporary way it was all pointing to Christ but there are religions still today you know religious systems that judge people based on gray area issues in the Bible let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink regards to you know whether you 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 know Say the Sabbath is Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, I know you all can think of certain people or religions in your life, and you've been affected by that. You know, that's why we're pretty rebellious around here. We used to have uh, a billboard that said, Church Caffeinated, you know. And we like to celebrate that we have coffee out in the lobby because there are people that think that drinking coffee is a sin. But that's adding to this book. It's a sin to say that it's a sin. Now, can it become a sin? Yeah. If we become addicted to it to the point where we rely on it rather than relying on God. Many of us can say we probably are addicted to caffeine. But thank God for Jesus Christ. And I hope that he delivers us from our addictions and our habits and our obsessions and our compulsions. That we will be fighting our entire lives until he comes back to get us. Because we are weak and we are sinners and that's what makes Jesus so glorious. This paralyzed man represents you and me. He can do nothing on his own. Nothing. He can't walk. He can't move. He can't do anything. He can't save himself. That's why he has to get his friends to lower him and take him to Jesus in the first place. And just like we said last week, leprosy, leprosy represents this disease of sin that we have that only Jesus can take care of. And so the same way paralysis represents that we can do nothing before God to make ourselves right. We can do nothing before God to take, take care of this, this existence that we have that is weak, that has to rely on the power of other people, like this paralyzed man. That is us. We can't make our way to God. We can't stand up and walk to him. We need him to revive us, to make us clean, to forgive us, to heal us. And it's only Jesus that can do that. But this old system they're clinging to because they don't like having to submit themselves to God alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Religious systems that aren't orthodox Christianity follow after rules, and it is, it is dependent upon man and woman and how they live versus what God has done. And so we take the cross of Christ, and we minimize it, and we lower it, and we say, okay, 
Jesus is good and all, but my works are important too. And so when we combine them together, that's what gets me to heaven. That's blasphemy. That's wrong. Jesus Christ deserves to get all of the glory. And we get none. And the works that we do are only from him. From his spirit coming into us. Giving us the desire to do anything good in the first place. We don't take credit for that. Jesus is greater than religion. And the law of Moses even. Hebrews 3 says this same thing. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself, for every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. So when people misinterpret Scripture in the Old Testament and they add their own works and words to it, they've misinterpreted and misunderstand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. To take away the religious activity that makes us right with God. And it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what happens next. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Which, by the way, it said only God can forgive sins. That's right. But who's Jesus? Say it, church. There you go. Amen to that. Jesus is God. Jesus knew immediately what, 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 were they th- what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So he's proving his deity, he's proving that he's God, because these guys didn't actually say anything. He's reading their minds. And only God can read someone's mind. Now I'm sure you probably think, that you can read people's minds or your family members think you can read their minds. I've often tried to get my son to believe I know what he's thinking all the time. I'm like, I know what you're thinking and don't do it. He's like, what? Turns out I'm just paranoid most of the time. (laughs) But Jesus knows their thoughts proving that he's God and says, hey, I just, all I did was say a sentence Like, what's easier to do is say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk? He's saying, what's easier to do, say a sentence or actually heal a person? And so here's what he does. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So to make the first sentence more more important, it says, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So what's Jesus doing here? He's using this miracle to prove his authority. That he is God in the flesh. Who has come to take away the sins of the world. Along with the human religious systems that control access to God. And he says, I can say sins are forgiven. And let me prove it to you by the power. Only God could forgive sins. Only God could take a paralyzed man and make him stand up and walk. And that's how this ends. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before.
Church, I know that there are many of you here today, you've witnessed the miracle, whether it's in your own life or someone you love's life, that Jesus took a paralyzed man, spiritual leper, a spiritual paralytic, man or woman, child, and although they were weren't worth very much and couldn't do a whole lot and they had failed so many times in their life. Maybe that's you. I know that's me. And Jesus says, get up, live. Your sins are forgiven. Go. That's the miracle that people need. They don't need religion. They don't need a step-by-step way. They need Jesus Christ. They hear about him through the word of God. So for you and me, if we want our friends to be saved, let's get them to Jesus. Because only he has the power to heal and to forgive sins. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in worship We come to you thankful for your son. This is why we meet every Sunday and even more than that. Sometimes some of us meet almost every day of the week because we can't get enough of you. Let us have just more and more and more of you and less and less and less of our own identities, our own opinions. Let your truth come into our hearts and melt away our works-based religions that we've set up in our own mind. And for the people here today that have been a part of a works-based religion, I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Heal them, forgive their sins, help them to see the glory of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Thank you, God that we were all once paralyzed but now as believers in Jesus we can live, we can walk, we can leave today skipping with joy and let everybody who sees us say we've never seen anything like this before God do the work that only you can do I pray in Jesus name, amen